Well, good morning. I'm Bill, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Spring Lake Church, and I'm the campus pastor of this campus. And this morning, we're going to be finishing up on our latest message series on hope. And I have to tell you that the last three weeks of Pastor Jack doing this sermon series was so encouraging to me. Every week I just left and I felt so encouraged by the words of scripture that Jack talked about. And so I'm really excited to continue in that effort this morning as we talk about this last message. We're going to be talking about our final hope. But before we get into that, I want to give you a, little, few, a few more details on what's coming up in two weekends. Okay, so this, in, this announcement is so important that we're announcing it twice. Shelly talked about it and now I'm going to talk about it. Because we don't want you to show up on the 20th of May and the building to be locked and you, it took you three hours to get here anyways, right? So on the 20th of May, there's a Cellcom half marathon and marathon races that are going to be going on in Green Bay. And that's really exciting for our city because the race is going to be fun and all of those things. But it actually, they're going to close a lot of cross streets not the ones immediately next to the building, but enough that if you were driving to church, you would have to take a different route or find a different way to go or go over a different bridge, okay? So um, we wanted to look at that, and we decided that instead of going against the grain with what's going on in our community, we're going to change up things that weekend as a downtown campus. So there are three things that you really need to know for that weekend. The first one is, instead of a 10.30 a.m. service, the one that we're at right now, we'll be moving this service to 5 p.m. on Sunday evening. The service is going to be more of a celebration of what God has been doing in downtown Green Bay, what he's been doing in the city. And so it would be a perfect chance to invite some of your friends and neighbors to check out the church that you now go to. And so we would love for you to come out for that. It's going to be a great celebration. It's going to be a lot of fun that way. And then the second thing is that we decided that we didn't just want to not have our service that morning, but that we wanted to serve our city. And so what we've done is we've signed us up. We signed you up, basically. We signed you up, because I probably won't even be there. But, you know, like, no, I'll be supporting my wife as she runs, but... We signed you up to go love the city by manning a water station at mile 21. How many of you have ran a marathon or a half marathon? Raise your hands. Okay. You know when it gets towards the end, mile 21, mile 22, it is brutal. Okay. And so this is a huge water station for us to be at, to encourage these runners, to really be there cheering people on, to be handing them water and those sorts of things. And so it's a huge opportunity for us as a church to support what's going on in the city. This is our time. Spring Lake Church brought this church and this campus down here for us to love the city. And so this is our opportunity to do it. It's one opportunity to do it. And so we would love for you to be part of that. Um, And guess what? Here's the best part. I just moved the 1030 service, so I know you're free, okay? Like, (laughs) there's not really a good excuse anymore, unless you're actually running the event, right? So sign up today. You can actually sign up today in the lobby. And uh, just to be honest, since it's two weeks away, I would just prefer you to sign up for today. There's other options, yes. Okay, so if you need to go home and really think about it and pray about it, don't. Just sign up today, okay? All right, so you can sign up in the lobby, and there's more information on that. Lastly, we wanted to make that weekend really special and for the celebration in the evening to be special. And so we actually asked our student ministry to do a cookout for us 
which will also benefit their summer missions project. So after the service on that, on that Sunday night, we will be serving hot dog and hamburger plates for a suggested donation of $5. And uh, we would love for you to stay for that and to fellowship with us. Hopefully it'll be a beautiful day outside and we'll be out on the sidewalk together and, and be eating food together and be fellowshipping together. So we would love for you to be part of all of that this, that weekend. I am so excited to see what God's going to do on May 20th with us as a church. So I would just invite you to join us for that. All right, let's talk about our final hope. So a few years ago now, Spring Lake went through a rough patch. And I found myself as the only pastor on staff for a season. Some of you are nodding because you remember that. And we went from like five or six pastors when I first started here to, at one point, it was just me. And I was in my mid-twenties, and let's just say the experience, well, was interesting. Um, It was interesting because I found myself doing a lot of things and leading in ways that I just never had before, because up until that point, I was the student ministries pastor. And all of a sudden, I was preaching on Sunday, and I was leading communion, and I was counseling, and much more. In fact, it was during this time period that I led my first Christian funeral for an older gentleman in our church. And it was really, as a younger pastor, it was a really humbling experience to get to do that. The gentleman had a type of brain cancer and was quickly deteriorating in health when I met him. And by the time I met with the family, he was in hospice and only had a few days left. And it was one of those situations where the person is alive, they're breathing, but they're not really there. They can't interact with their family, and it was just a matter of time. Well, this man, he passed away, and the day of the funeral came. And I remember it being really somber, but also kind of hopeful, because this man, he knew and he followed Jesus. He was a wonderful guy, and we celebrated his life that day, But something happened that day that I'll never forget. The man's daughter-in-law, who honestly at this point, she wasn't a believer, and she was still kind of searching, she took me aside and she said, I have to share a story with you because I don't know who else to tell. And this happened right before this man passed away. You see, at this point in the story, the man was bedridden. He couldn't move or do anything on his own, and he had been like that for weeks. No muscle control. He couldn't do anything on his own. And the family had to attend to him for everything. Well, towards the very end, there was a moment where his daughter-in-law was in the room, and all of a sudden, the man went from comatose and laying there to sitting straight up in bed. Of course, the daughter-in-law was shocked, and as she described it, she said that the man looked right up towards the ceiling and put his arms out, and he had an expression of unbelievable joy on his face. And then he laid back down. And soon after that, within days, he passed away. Now, the skeptic might say that that was some sort of anomaly, but to anyone who had watched this disease ravage this man's health to nothing, that event couldn't be explained away. This devout Christian man who expressed his desire many times to go and be with Jesus was seeing his glorious reward. He was realizing his final and our ultimate hope. He was meeting Jesus. 
And as we open scripture today and finish our series on hope, that is what we're going to be talking about. What do you do in this life when the hope of your situation changing is slim to none? What do you do when you're facing chronic disease? What do you do when you or a loved one has cancer? What do you do when you have an incurable disease? What do you do when there's no hope left? Well, today we're going to see from our passage that there's four things we need to remember when everything seems ultimately hopeless. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there now to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, there might be a one in a seat near you, underneath. Or you can always pull out your phone and Google 1 Peter 1, 3, 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, 3 through 9. All right, as you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us. We need God's help when we feel helpless. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many situations in life whether it's a relationship or a sickness or death or whatever it is that can seem utterly hopeless. There are so many of us who struggle with things throughout our whole lives. There's so much brokenness. And Lord, we need your help when we feel helpless. We need to know that there's hope. There's hope beyond what's here and now. So Lord, I pray that as we open up these scriptures and as we leave today, in a little bit, that we would leave knowing that there's always hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter 1, 3 through 9. Here's what it says. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power into the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. Now, we'll get into these four things we need to remember in a second. But first, it's helpful for us to know the background in the situation of who Peter is writing to. Peter, if you remember, is one of Jesus' closest disciples. And he's one of the leaders of the first church. And he's writing to what seemed to be non-Jewish believers in the area of Asia Minor, or what we would call modern-day Turkey. And what you need to understand about these believers is that they were always constantly facing sporadic persecution. Now, in this area of the world at the time, there wasn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily illegal to be a Christian. So it wasn't that the state was doing the persecuting just yet. They were about to. But it was that actual neighbors and communities were rising up to persecute Christians and harass them. You see, Christians at this time were very countercultural in wanting to worship one God through Jesus. 
They were claiming that Jesus had raised from the dead, and people didn't really like that message in the culture. Christians had different moral codes, too, than the rest of their culture, and so they were very countercultural in many ways. So just imagine for a second, imagine that you have a church community, and you are witnessing people being transformed by the gospel and by following Jesus all around you. But from time to time, people are rising up in your city, getting together to round up all the Christians you know and love and harass them and torture them. Imagine people in your neighborhood, in your own very neighborhood, getting together and showing up at your door with evil intent just because you're a Christ follower. As one of the main leaders of the church, Peter had to offer these people some sort of hope, knowing full well that, guess what? Their situation and what was going on with them wasn't necessarily going to change, and it might even get worse. And so with this in mind, Peter takes the time to help them remember a hope that goes way beyond them being delivered from their circumstances. He reminds them of a hope that supersedes everything, a final hope. And it's these reminders that we're going to talk about today. Our final hope, this is the first one, is always and forever alive because Jesus is alive. Look at 1 Peter 1.3, the passage. First part. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's actually a couple amazing and hopeful parts from this verse. First, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. If you come to Jesus and you have given your life over to him, that is described as a new birth. When someone comes to Christ, it's like their lives begin again. Why? Why does the Bible talk about it that way? Because we actually don't deserve to be a child of God. We deserve God's wrath. We are his enemies and deserve condemnation and death. Scripture directly says that before Jesus came, we were dead in our sins. So when we come to Christ and we trust him with our lives, we pass over from death to life and we become God's children. Have you ever really considered why God pictures, or the Bible pictures God as Father? It's not just because of Jesus' relationship to the Father. It's also because God as Father produces children each time somebody hears his voice and puts their faith and trust in him. When we do that, we become God's children. And the Bible calls that being born again. And so there's an unbelievable hope just in this new birth that we have because of Jesus. And now that we're born unto God, now that God can look at us and call us his children, now we have these things that we receive, this inheritance that we receive because we are his children. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into something, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The new birth gives us hope that is forever alive because Jesus is alive. We need that. Listen, we need that truth in the midst of pain and suffering. We need to remember that, to know that, to dwell on that. We need to hear that when the situation is hopeless. We always have a living hope. And I love that term, living hope. 
especially since it's correlated with Jesus conquering the only thing that seemed unconquerable, death. You know, being a pastor can be kind of tough sometimes. The reason why is because you end up being around a lot of suffering in seemingly hopeless situations. You see people die, and you see the, the grief that comes along with that. You get to see people in the hospital, and you, you see people's marriages break up, and you see all sorts of things. In fact, the truth is that no matter who you are, the longer you are on this world, the more suffering and disease and horribleness you see. Amen. Hang around this earth long enough, and some of the suffering is going to touch you and your loved ones. It's inevitable. Perhaps one of the hardest things for us to process is the finality of death. People don't even like to talk about it, but some of you are like, no, don't go there. Every time someone I know or am connected with dies, I feel like it's so jarring. It's so wrong. It just doesn't feel right. And yet, Peter, he takes this opportunity to go after this most hopeless thing called death. If you are in Jesus, you have a hope that is forever and always alive because Jesus is alive. You are united with the ever-living and everlasting God of this universe who looked death in the face and destroyed it for himself and for all those who follow him. No matter what happens to you on this earth, no matter how bad it gets, you have to remember that always, you always have a living hope in Jesus. Nothing can take that away from you. Your hope is living because your Savior is living. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about this. And it's one of my favorite passages, and it, and it often comes up around people's funerals, but it's so hopeful for us to know. Starting in verse, starting in verse 13, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive our left and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That is our hope. When cancer or sickness or old age ravages our bodies, we still have a living hope. When we face situations that can't change and there's no end in sight, we still have a living hope. When you feel like life has beaten you up at every turn, you still have a living hope. And his name is Jesus. <clears throat> I didn't know I was going to get this emotional. <laughs> <sighs> our final hope, this is the second one, our final hope is preserved and protected by an all-powerful God and will be realized. Let's look at the next part of this passage. 1 Peter 1, 4-5. through 5. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So within the last year or so, I was cutting this partially frozen bagel, okay? You might know where this is going already. And I'm sawing through this bagel with a serrated knife, just like this, okay? And all of a sudden, the knife breaks through the bagel, and I cut my index finger, like, super deep. Like, I cut it, like, halfway, into, like, right into my bone, right? Well, I took the trip to the urgent care and got a few stitches, but soon after the wound was healed, I realized that my finger still remained numb, okay? In fact, the whole top side of my finger, like, around here, this in a circular motion, I can't feel. It's like super numb there, okay? Now, I can pretty much use it the same way that I always have, but something about this whole situation really bothered me. Like, I had a hard time accepting that I would never feel this finger 100% normally again, right? And it made me feel a sort of little wholeness, or loss of wholeness, right? Like, what was going on? And we all have these things, right? Like, you hurt yourself in skiing, and you rip your shoulder, and now your shoulder is never the way it was, go- it was supposed to be, right? And you have these things, and they accumulate over time, and you get this loss of wholeness. And that is the constant state of reality that we live in right now. It's like when you go back to your, whole to- your old hometown, and they tore down the old school you went to, and they put up a Walgreens. Or when a celebrity you knew and loved growing up, suddenly you felt like you knew them, and then they die, and you're like, ah, they're old enough to die, you know, and it, it, it messes with you. Or when a beloved pet passes away, the world is in a constant, stain, a constant state of change and decay. It's all around us, and it leaves us with the sinking feeling that nothing is certain, that everything is rotting, that everything is not going to be left untouched by death and decay. And that's why this reminder from Peter is so vitally important for us to understand. In the midst of this broken and decaying world, Jesus came and he secured for us an inheritance. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, he secured for us a future promise. And he put that promise in the only place where it would never decay or rot or perish or spoil or fade. Listen to Peter's words, an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, an inheritance kept in heaven for you. You know, in this life, because of the way it is, it is so easy to become jaded and disenfranchised with this world. Our hearts long for permanence, for wholeness, for security, and just when we think we have it on this earth, something shatters. We only get a little taste of it here and there. Well, can I tell you something? Our final hope is not found in this world at all. Our hearts, they long for permanence. And our final and future hope is in a place where nothing can touch it. It is guarded and it's preserved by God himself. It will not grow old with age and nothing on this earth can affect it. Not only that, but no matter what happens to us, as long as we keep our faith in Jesus, as long as we hold true to him and truly love him and trust him, we ourselves are shielded by the almighty God of this universe until we we realize 
our salvation in him. One day Jesus will return and his kingdom will be established in heaven on earth forever. And those who had trusted in Christ will receive their full reward. We will be with Jesus. And our resurrected bodies will be completely whole. We won't be under the curse and the effects of sin. We will live fully for God and his kingdom. One of the, past, the first passages I ever memorized in Scripture was 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and 17, and 18. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, for what is unseen is eternal. Many of you in this room have seen and experienced some dark and awful things. Some of you are mourning the loss of your health and your vitality. Some of you are struggling with cancers. Others have a bunch of broken relationships. Many of you have lost those closest to you, and the, ba- and the pain seems unbearable. This life has a way of chewing people up and spitting them out. And listen, God has a message for you today. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. But instead, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what, is, what you see and experience now is temporary. But what you don't see is the glory and the salvation and the wholeness and the goodness that God has secured for you in heaven. Our final hope is preserved and protected by an all-powerful God and will be realized when Christ returns. And that brings us to the third thing that we need to remember. Our final hope allows us to rejoice in suffering because enduring an authentic faith brings glory to Jesus. Look at, verse, look at verse 6 and 7 in our passage. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in trials of all kinds. They have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the most challenging part of our passage. And Peter makes it clear that our suffering and our trials are an opportunity to rejoice because enduring them demonstrates real faith. In other words, trials in your life end up being a test for how much you really have faith and trust in God. And no, it's not that God causes that evil and that pain, but guess what? He certainly uses it. God wants to subjugate every trial and use it for your ultimate good, if you'll just let him. But not only that, but we can even rejoice because keeping our faith in Christ through trials is really proof of the genuineness of our faith. And of course, that all sounds good until you find yourself in some of the worst situations of your life. Have you ever had moments when you questioned God's goodness? Have you ever wanted to yell at God for allowing something horrible in your life? Have you ever in the midst of suffering just felt like whatever is going to happen is going to happen and so there's nothing I can do about it? 
and there's no prayers that I can do, and, and nothing really matters. You ever feel like that? Have you ever wondered in the midst of suffering if God even exists at all? I have. I've definitely felt like that. I felt like that when my wife and I went through two miscarriages. I remember looking hopelessness in the face. I remember the sadness and the pain. It left us questioning, questioning God. And honestly, I think my reaction in those doubts, in those questions I had were and are very common. And you know, it's okay to be there. It's actually okay to be there. It's okay to be honest before God and to tell him how you really feel. Read the Psalms. David cries out to God, and some of those things that he says to God are wrong. Like, you shouldn't be saying, God, destroy every enemy in my life this way. And yet, David says those things, and he questions God sometimes because he's trying to get to the other end of his suffering. You see, the hard reality is that each time you face suffering and hopelessness, you have a choice. Will you trust in the good outcomes in the circumstances of your life, or will you trust in God's supreme goodness in the face of suffering? A faith that says, I will trust and believe in God unless my child dies, or unless I go bankrupt, or unless I get cancer, or unless my marriage falls apart, is not a solid faith. That faith is built on good outcomes. A genuine gold faith, a faith that brings glory and honor to Jesus, is one that endures despite all of that. It's a faith that's not set in present and earthly circumstances, but it's set on Jesus, and the reward comes from following him all the way through. It is set on eternal hope and a faith that God will come through. Our final hope allows us to rejoice in suffering because enduring and authentic faith brings glory to Jesus. This is our last one. Our final hope is about actively loving and trusting in Jesus, which leads to our own salvation. Though you have not seen him, verse 8, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your, fa- of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, I was once told by someone, you know, you just believe in some invisible guy in the sky that turned into a human being and then died and then he became a zombie and now you pretend to eat and drink his blood on Sunday morning. And I think the point of that was to describe my faith in such a way that it made it seem silly. And that's why I love the context of this part of this passage. Think about this for a second. Think about what's going on in this passage. This is Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' closest disciples. Peter was there on the mountain when he saw Jesus transfigured into all of his glory. Peter was the one who witnessed Jesus walk on water, and he got out of the boat and started walking on water as well. Peter was the one who saw Jesus face to face after his resurrection. This is Peter, and he no doubt loves Jesus with every fiber of his being. And it's Peter who is writing to this group of Christians in Asia Minor who have never actually met Jesus themselves. 
They didn't witness the miracles. They didn't see the resurrected Lord. They believed because they were told and taught about who Jesus was and is. And as Peter said, though they did not see him, they loved him. And even though they don't see him now, they believed in him. Can I tell you something? That's us. Peter is talking about us. We didn't see Jesus firsthand walk this earth. We, don't, we didn't see the miracles that we did. We did not see in his hands the wounds of the crucifixion as the Lord was resurrected. We didn't see those things. We are trusting and are putting our faith in Jesus without actually physically seeing him. And guess what? It doesn't make him any less real. Jesus isn't just some inaccessible, invisible fairy god, fairy tale god in the sky. Jesus is our Lord, our friend, our savior, our comforter, the reason for living. He is our portion, he is our prize, he's the end goal, he's our final hope. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. If your head is down right now in life, and all you can think about are your problems, and no doubt, some of them are terrible problems. Some of you are suffering in ways that others of us would never imagine. There's something you can do right now as a Christ follower that will drastically help your situation. And it's really simple. Be like the gentleman who was laying on that bed dying of cancer, brain cancer. And he he sat up and he looked up and he saw his eternal hope. That's what you need. Wake up each morning, and before you do anything else, write down, Jesus is my hope and my salvation. Though I have not seen him, I will love him. And even though I don't see him now, I believe in him. Until he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I will stand. Ask God to fill you with that inexpressible and that glorious joy that you can have no matter what because you are receiving eternal salvation in Jesus. Let me close with this. During the first 300 years of Christianity or so, many Christians died specifically because they had decided to follow Jesus. This includes the apostles. The, first, the worst the world had to offer in terms of torture and pain they got. They watched their friends and their family suffer the same fate. They clung to hope in Jesus because they longed for Christ in his kingdom more than they did for their lives. Peter himself was sentenced to crucifixion. And his only request of the people who were to crucify him was, Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy of being crucified as my Lord. Peter's brother Andrew was scourged, which means they basically ripped his flesh with, with whips. And then he was tied to a cross rather than nailed to it so that he would suffer for a longer time. And the story goes that Andrew lived for two days on that cross And everyone who passed to see the torture and the death that he was enduring, he preached the gospel to. There are hundreds and thousands of martyrs throughout the centuries who endured the most terrible pain. 
But the strange thing is, when you start to read these stories that come down from us, from people before us, about their deaths, even those few stories that are recorded by the Romans, they tell us that most of these men and women and children who were killed for their faith died with peaceful hearts. Sometimes they were even singing hymns as they were burned or dragged by animals in front of the crowds. If there's one main thing about hope that I can say, it's this. Following Jesus is not about being delivered from every painful and difficult circumstances you find yourself in. Our hope cannot be wrapped up in this life. The cold, hard truth is that in this life, there will be trouble. In fact, in some of our situations, we might not see a resolution this side of eternity. So you need to know and be reminded of often that our hope is not here and now. Following Jesus is, an about, is about an eternal hope that is forever and always alive, preserved and protected by an all-powerful God, and this allows us to endure all things because though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you can be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because one day you will receive the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So this week, wake up in the morning and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross for you scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And one day, he'll either return or he'll call you home. Until then, here in the power of Christ, you stand. Let's pray. God, uh, we need your help. This world can beat us up, can break us down. We've seen so much pain and so much, so much death and so, much, so many things around us that are not right, so many injustices. Lord, it's so easy to fix our eyes on what is seen. Lord, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, give us the ability to remember, to remember that we, we have joy because our end result is salvation in you. Lord, help us to have hope hope and faith in you. Lord, help us to know that even at its worst, our life ends and we get to be with you forever. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen.